Good morning. I'm Carrie Miller. Glad you're tuned into NPR News today because at long last, Anatoly Lieberman is back on the show and ready to roll. Today, we're going to ponder those words, some of them in a foreign language, some of them jumbles of other words that are legendary in your family. It's the word your grandmother blurted out when she was upset. It's the phrase that your siblings and cousins know, but you know, it sounds like gobbledygook to anyone else. It's the words you treasure because they say something about the history your family shares. So tell us what that word or phrase is from that part of your family lore and tell us where you think it comes from and what it means. Or is there just a word that you've always been intrigued with and this is a chance to ask Anatoly about it? But I'd love to hear about the words and phrases that came down in your family. You're still using them. They say something about your family history. 651-227-6800-242-2828. You can reach me on Twitter, at Carrie NPR. Anatoly Lieberman, as you know, is a professor of languages at the University of Minnesota and the author of many books about words and language, including Word Origins and How We Know Them. Anatoly, long time no see, my friend. It sounds like you're doing well. I'm yes, glad to hear that. Yes, thank you. And I think the topic, the subject of our conversation is extremely interesting. And I want <laughs> to say a few words about it so as okay. not to uh, raise hopes. Uh, I have just finished a, a dictionary uh, which is called an explanatory and etymological dictionary of English idioms. Uh, I've been working on it for about 10 years. It's now on, will be published now by the University of Minnesota Press. Uh, so I know something about the subject you have just mentioned. Uh, Good. One of Good. them is, uh, for example, uh, there is an idiom. Um, the idioms that I, that I know, uh, that is those which I discussed in the dictionary, are mainly uh, exotic and British, but some of them are quite common, like raining cats and dogs, for example, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, uh, but, but some of them are quite exotic. And there is a recurring motif there. Uh, somebody, I knew, I knew it from the correspondence in the beautiful periodical uh, called Notes and Queries. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, somebody would say, uh, what a very interesting expression. We used it in the family. Does anyone know uh, where it came from? And then two weeks later, because it was a bi-weekly, somebody would say, really, I was quite sure that it was our local phrase known only to the members of our family. Uh, and, <laughs> really? and I'm in Lancashire and you're in Sussex. And so that means that this is a very well-known expression, but we all were under the illusion that it's really our treasure. That's just what right. you mentioned in your introductory remarks. And okay, point... I love the idea of that, because more people may understand these, as you say, exotic phrases and words than we think, right? So exotic, that's right. And, uh, and there, is, but there is one more thing. Uh, some of these exotic or difficult expressions are local, or if you want another word which is very useful here, regional. Uh, someone mm. knows a certain expression from Texas, and it's 
something that they treasure, but no one in the world is supposed to know them. Uh, there is a beautiful expression, uh, a beautiful dictionary called American Dictionary, Regional American Dictionary, uh, which was in the making for decades, and it's all there and digitalized, and it's one of the greatest treasures of our civilization. And when you read it, you wonder, am I reading English? Uh, is it really the language which I naively or ambitiously think I have mastered? Nobody knows these expressions except for a very local area. So if our listeners have some exotic expression and expect me to know the origin, no, nobody knows the origin except for the inevitable ufda, which I have answered a million times uh, but, <laughs> but uh, oh, of course no uh, no session anywhere without an ufda question uh, but well, uh, other than we, that we've got some we've got some people on the phone lines here anatoly i think we ought to go hear what people are saying in the family and see what you know about it let okay? us see i may not know All anything right. to gloria in ironton Hi, Gloria. Glad you called. What's the word or phrase, and who used to say it in your family? Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, my grandmother, when we were very little, would call all of us grandchildren, um, if we were out there for a, a family weekend or whatever, and she would say, Como wait nu, como wait nu, which we understood to mean come and eat now. <laughs> and um, what, what language so, was that? I assumed it was Swedish. And it, it's she just was. kind of a jumble of words that you understood because you knew it was time to come in and eat. Yeah? She would say, Como eat no, yeah, to come and eat now. And <laughs> I totally- actually would do that with my daughter when she was really little. I didn't do it when she got older, but <laughs> really? I just would spurt it out, you know, when, when the, you know, peanut butter sandwiches are ready, come away. No, it just came out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Anatoly, you know, a lot of yeah, that's Northern very European difficult. languages. Okay. Uh, what is that? Yes. That's probably a mixture of English and Swedish. Uh, I wasn't quite sure. It could have been Norwegian because the first word uh, is practically the same in all the Scandinavian languages. Uh, our a relative of the English verb to come. Uh, and that's a typical American phenomenon. Uh, from the British expressions with which I have been working for so many years, they're local, but one can be North England, uh, something can be Southern England, or, or whatever. And uh, in this country, uh, there may be a mixture of uh, English and Swedish, German and, and English, Spanish and English, and they're very hard to decipher. But if you know the ancestry of the person who has used it, uh, just as our caller knows it, uh, then the answer is more or less clear. A typical American phenomenon, and I've heard many examples of it, and I think that the answer is correct. Uh, it's it, it's Swedish, uh, probably, and sounded very sweet to the grandmother, who could use her local idiom uh, while <laughs> yeah. in the United States. It's lovely. Call from David in New Brighton. Hi, David. What's the, what's the word or phrase that was used in your family? Yeah, so my dad passed away a couple of years ago, and uh, mm-hmm. he spent some time in Germany uh, in the 1950s. And so he spoke pretty fluent German. Um, mm-hmm. And he never, ever swore in his whole life. I, I don't remember him swearing, but... Whenever he would do something where a normal person would swear, he would say, Verdam, knock them all. 
and and I uh, asked some German friends of mine what it means, and they they didn't they didn't recognize it. So it's Verdamp Nakamal. You've called the right guy, Anatoly. Does that sound like oh, anything well, the, that translates? For, the, be- the beginning is something like Verdamp, uh, and I'm not quite sure whether whether it is really so. But if it is so, then it is be cursed or something like that. Uh-huh. But the whole situation is so extremely familiar and so important from a linguistic point of view. Uh, swearing in one, of course, today is today is so easy to swear, and some of the ugliest words are used uh, without shame. Uh, but in general, swearing uh, is not a good thing, as we all know. And swearing in one's language is not a pleasant thing. But swearing in a foreign language is something quite different, because there is no, there is an emotional barrier between you and a foreign language. I know it very well uh, from my. Uh, students who come from abroad, from Norway, from other countries, uh, where, who would use bu- bu- quite freely uh, some of the ugliest English words. I remember I said <laughs> to one of them, no, you cannot say so. <laughs> oh, she says, everybody says so. No, I said, not everybody <laughs> and not all the time. But saying it in English didn't mean anything to her. It was just a foreign word. She would <laughs> never have said it in her own language. Oh so I understand that man who never swore in his life, but in German. Oh, who cared? <laughs> so right before we came on the air, you and I were chatting, and you mentioned something about a seminar in old Icelandic, is that what you said? Yes, exactly what I said. So, so I guess I think we're going to hear from a lot of people who bring us words and phrases from German and the Scandinavian countries. How much of Iceland's language has seeped into our language, and does it pop up in no, you know, in maybe uh, families? No, 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 uh, none of it, uh, because uh, why? Uh, First of all, because the Icelandic diaspora, if you, or the, those who came from Iceland, uh, are not so very numerous. Uh, in Canada, uh, where there was a serious, really great Icelandic community, about a hundred years ago, or even after that, uh, I read uh, news, Icelandic newspapers from Manitoba, and there is a department, a special chair. Uh, not department, but chair for Icelandic in at the University of Manitoba. There, yeah. perhaps, uh, but in the United States, there are so very few uh, Icelanders, comparatively speaking, uh, they have not impressed English uh, English at all. But even our Swedish-Norwegian expressions uh, are mainly from uh, from our region, from Minnesota, from Wisconsin, uh, perhaps from North Dakota to a certain extent, where there was the highest... Uh, density or density of Swedes. Uh, there were very mm-hmm. few Danes uh, in the United States, though there were quite a few in Nebraska. And I've read a novel uh, with a very touching title, Take All to Nebraska, uh, uh, which I read simply because I was curious. Uh, I don't remember much of it, but the title is lovely and I remember it. Uh, so we do have a Swedish-Norwegian overlay to a certain extent. It's disappearing uh, with every new generation. Uh, Icelandic is a very exotic language from our point of view. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hear some Icelanders speaking with with an Icelandic accent, but that is really as far as it goes. But old okay. Icelandic uh, remains the greatest attraction to those who want to know the history of our languages because of the great literature and because of the great history of that island.
Ben called from Bloomington to say, my paternal grandfather used to say Disney characters instead of swearing. Now my dad has started to do it too. Bruce in Coon Rapids says, my family is very Scandinavian. We have this word mixoscrope, which refers to the language we made up mixing all of the different languages. Let me get a call here from Tom in Prior Lake. Hey, Tom. Hi. Thanks for waiting. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Uh, so the word is keskis, and my dad used to say this to me uh, in the following phrase, if I did something wrong as a lad, uh, you know, 50 years ago, he would say, if you do that again, I'm going to take you to the keskis. but he would pronounce it to the Mm-hmm. You never knew what it meant. Never know what I meant. I, I think it had some Polish sort of a background, but uh, yeah, that's that's all I know, and I'd I'd, I'd love to know uh, what it what it means. Uh, What's it sound like to you, Anatoly? Uh, could I hear it again very slowly? Uh, he would say, "If you do that again, I'm going to take you to the Keshkis." Well. Um... <laughs> Well, it doesn't sound familiar <laughs> to me uh, from any Slavic language which I know. Uh, it's probably already a garbled version uh, of something. You say it may be Polish, and and it does sound a bit Slavic, but everything that's, that's exotic always sounds Slavic. Uh, so one never knows. Uh, but uh, uh, the previous remarks uh, were very... Uh, very true about the mixture of languages. And, of course, we have those funny words now, like franglaise, for example, uh, which is a mixture of uh, French and English. And uh, everybody despises these words, uh, but you have to go to Germany to see how many English words are in German today uh, and how many words are the same in Sweden. Uh, where you use an English word and a Swedish word, they say, no, no, we don't say so. We say so. Oh, but that's an English word. Yes, but that's the only one that we understand now uh, for this situation. Uh, but the situation from Polish or from any, from any language, uh, some incomprehensible uh, word, it's a very common thing. Uh, sometimes the speaker himself may not know what the word means, heard it from his or her grandparents, so it may be garbled to the third or fourth degree by the time uh, it has come down to us. I'm really glad you mentioned the way some of these anglicisms, uh, English words that are creeping into foreign languages, because every now and then we read something about how the Académie Française is constantly warning the French about using anglicized words and uh, phrases like uh, unbrushing or yeah. fan zone. But yeah. I, I think you're going to say there's really no way to stop the creep of foreign words into other languages, is there? Probably. You're probably right. Uh, I've read terrible articles from Iceland uh, in 50 years uh, nobody will speak Icelandic uh, because uh, young people prefer to speak English even to one another, if, uh, even though they speak Icelandic at home. Uh, but they realize that Icelandic will not take them anywhere. Uh, so they learn English, 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 English. It's English everywhere. I still hope it won't happen because I love Iceland and I love Icelandic and I don't want this word, this, this language to disappear. Uh, but this influx of English words... 
uh, is, as you say, probably inevitable. Now, in technology, in sciences, it's probably not such a bad thing. But when people begin to use foreignisms, uh, that is a bit scary. Of course, English is full of useless words, uh, uh, Latinized uh, from Greek or from Latin. And if you want to show off, instead of saying a beehive, you will say apiary. And uh, whether this is uh, better to call uh, a spade uh, something else than a spade is not entirely clear. But in principle, you are right. In technology and in everyday use, some of the words will probably remain, uh, will be slightly naturalized, and then everybody will forget about their origin. Just as we in English use so many words which are French, German, Scandinavian, and do not know their origin. By the way, the, Eng- the dictionary of English region, the dictionary of, uh, of regional English, does not give origins. Uh, even mm-hmm. they sometimes mention origins very cautiously. Anatoly Lieberman is on the show. As you can hear, it's been a really long time since we've had a chance to do this. Professor of languages at the U of M, author of a number of books with a new dictionary coming out on English idioms. Today, we're talking about that word or phrase that is part of your family lore. You grew up hearing your grandparents say it. It came down through the generations. You've never really known what it meant. What are you curious about? On that, 651-227-6000. We're getting some great words and phrases here. 800-242-2828. You can tweet in at Carrie NPR to Abby in Minneapolis. Hi, Abby. Thanks so much for waiting. Hi, good morning. Uh, my family's word is pivot. And the first time I remember hearing it was on a road trip when my mom was trying to think of the word for the little coat hanger that would flip down in our minivan. And she just blurted out, just, just flip down the pivot. Um, and since then, it's you know, kind of morphed into this word that our family uses for whatever we can't think of the name for, especially if it kind of dangles in a certain way. Ah, ah, okay. So you've given us a, an important clue there. So it's really not from some other language, it's just kind of an adjustment of a different word. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> that's, that's the way it's morphed into usage colloquially. That's um, funny. I, I really don't know where she came up with it. She she had a habit of making up words, um, but it's just been such like a fun thing in our family and I know, that's it down great. to my daughter as well. That's really <laughs> your daughter will this is all grow very, up saying that word. <laughs> this is all very familiar uh, because our uh, language is full of so-called emotional words. Uh, we do not realize uh, that they're such. Uh, there, there are all kinds of scientific words, scholarly words for it. Uh, they're uh, sound imitative words or sound symbolic words. Uh, but you begin to look up words, especially monosyllabic words, all those pit, pat, pop, bob, bib, and so on, and you find in your dictionary, origin unknown, as someone made them up very much like our caller, and then somebody liked them, but that's the way all innovation spreads. Someone Mm. uses the words, somebody likes them, then a little bit later, uh, it becomes known to 
community and then to the entire community and then it ends up in a dictionary uh, with the word with the note origin unknown uh, but that's the way of really all linguistic flesh Listen to this, Anatoly. Here's Ellen on Twitter. I love Anatoly. I was a reluctant student in a medieval German literature in translation class, and he captured my soul. Enjoined him, learned so much that I took two additional classes from him. Always fun to hear him on your show. Wonderful. Boy. Well, I'm so happy. Abuse is so common. Praise is so rare. (laughs) Uh, But you... I mean, you won her over, Anatoly, in a medieval German literature in translation class. Uh, well, Bravo. As, uh, as, it, as Higgins uh, uh, or somebody, somebody says uh, in, uh, in uh, George Bernard Shaw's Pygmalion, there are more ways than one to catch a woman's heart. <laughs> and you know them all, I know. Well, at least uh, I know the medieval way. Um, Lauren in Elk River. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for waiting. Um, I'll share with you my story. When I was a kid in the 1970s, my father and mother would take us out for ice cream. And then Mm -hmm. we get stuck at a red light. And me and my two brothers were in the back of the car, impatient. And my father would tell us, well, if you say Dreitzik Yibba, the light will turn. (laughs) um, (laughs) We try to say it correctly. And it would take long enough for us to say it correctly before the light would turn. Ah, and, um, it's a very oh, happy clever. memory. So what, say it one more time so Anatoly can catch it. Okay. Dreitzik Yibba. Well, of course, I have no notion where it came from. <laughs> I know, well, I'm guessing that it's Yiddish. Uh, might but... be. Uh, it does sound a bit Yiddish, but uh, I'll be very... Uh, very cautious, uh, because there is a tendency in etymology. If you don't know a word's origin, it's probably Yiddish. Uh, oh, really? The, Why? Yes, yes, and it's uh, unimaginable, especially in this country, uh, where there is a very strong Yiddish overlay, especially if you, if you live in New York, and so many words really uh, came to, uh, to American English uh, from, from New York or from New Jersey, or if you want, from New Jersey. Uh, and uh, uh, that is possible, uh, but there is a whole bunch of articles and a lot of literature with the title, This Word or This Idiom is Not of Jewish Origin. Mm. Uh, uh, whenever something sounds a bit exotic, funny, twisted, garbled like th- what we have just heard, people say it must be Yiddish. I would not dare say so. The etymology of every word, however funny, However, uh, little known uh, needs a lot of exploration. And here, in the spur of the moment, in a studio, I wouldn't dare say, yeah, probably so. Uh, it's better to say origin unknown. There are, of course, all kinds of euphemisms of uncertain origin, of disputed origin, of controversial origin. All of these are masks uh, to, uh, to disguise your ignorance. So be be leery, though. Be wary of just attributing some word that you you can't find the origin of just to Yiddish or because... to any other language. Okay, uh, in in order other. to say something about etymology, you have to study it. <laughs> Relin says, "I grew up north of Green Bay, and we described a trip or fall as taking a digger 
or a digger. I've never heard that. She says, I don't think the women in my family were particularly graceful as it came up not infrequently. Other folks don't recognize the phrase. A regional word, of course, a regional word. Probably not. And when we say, let me ask you this, when we say regional, I mean, do we mean something as limited as just in, you know, in the suburbs of the city of Green Bay, or would it be... Both. I mean, can it be that small? It may be, it may be very, it's infinitesimally small that is known in some very small community uh, where, let us say, something which is probably Spanish and known or Italian, known only in the Spanish-speaking or in the Italian-speaking community, that's possible, or it may be known more or less in in the northern part of the state and nowhere nowhere else. Uh, Take uh, the tritest example in the world, uh, something that we always hear. Oh, of course, uh, uh, this drinking fountain is called a bubbler in Wisconsin. Everybody has heard that. Uh, that's a regional word. Uh, I remember the word ramp, which, which I learned when I came to Minnesota, and I didn't know that the word ramp had a different meaning uh, elsewhere in the United States. Ramp was uh, the way, the path, the road that uh, that leads to the garage rather than what I would call a ramp. These are regional expressions, uh, sometimes very well known, uh, sometimes badly known. That is why those who were employed for decades uh, by the Dictionary of Regional English went all over the country with tape recorders at that time and would speak to residents and ask what the word means and how long have you known this word. Reading this dictionary is much better than reading another thriller about a successful detective. (laughs) So you say. Uh, Let me take a call here from Yasia in Shoreview. Hi, Yasia. I'm glad you called. Hello. Thank you for taking my phone call. Uh, I'm really fascinated by the talk that Anatoly and you are having right now. It's really interesting. And um, I have a question. Um, I grew up in Ukraine, and, um, uh, you know, when we were little, uh, sometimes we would be picky with what we eat. And my parents would always say, would shake their head and would say, you have not seen smoked goat. And the phrase in Russian then would be, не видели вы смаленой козы? Say it again? My brother, не видели вы смаленой козы? Which is translated, you have not seen a smoked goat. Yet. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so I always wondered as a child, and I asked my parents question, what does it mean? And I pictured it, a goat somewhere in the middle of the forest, and I was like, where can we go and see it? You know, so it's just always been a mystery for me what it means and where that, came from, uh, that phrase came from. And I'm really happy that uh, we have Anatoly who might shed some light on that. Yes. Alas, yeah. alas, you will uh, remain in eternal darkness <laughs> as far as this expression is concerned. Oh, no. Uh, because uh, these expressions uh, with, with uh, animal names uh, are among the, the hardest to explain. Why do you get some, what, somebody's goat, for example? Uh, why <laughs> right. just the goat? Uh, then the one I mentioned uh, some time ago, why does it rain cats and dogs? Uh, really cats, really dogs, really get one's, one's goat. Uh, some of these expressions, uh, I have several Russian expressions which uh, 
with dog, which I have never been able to explain. For example, there is an, an expression uh, to uh, to eat one's dog. Uh, that means to Jeez. have a, a thorough knowledge of some uh, of some subject. No dictionary explains it. Uh, so these phrases, which seem so humorously easy, uh, so that you just ask a native speaker of Russian or Ukrainian, and the speaker will say, oh, yes, of course. No, 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 no. Uh, it may be a garbled version of something. Uh, it may be something that has nothing to do with the goat here, with kaza or kazil. Uh, it may be a, th- a third generation of this expression. Or it may go back to some technical expression, expression of, of, that artisans used, uh, used to use uh, in the past. And then after many transformations, uh, it became just garbled, garbled, word, garbled expression, which doesn't mean a thing. Uh, so no, explaining the origin of some phrase, that's what I've been uh, busying myself with for 10 years now, just opinions. Some people think it means that is the origin. Other people think this is the origin. If you take the biggest dictionaries of idioms, you will see examples and very seldom origins. People know how hard it is to explain these exotic expressions. Sorry to be uh, so helpless here, but I'm in good company. Anatoly, I want to give you a word to think about since you were mentioning dogs. My husband says he tried to find the origin of the word dog the other day, and he couldn't. So is is the origin as mysterious as my sweetheart thinks it is? Yes, it is. Yes? Uh, Yes, it is. Uh, I didn't believe it. And the same same is true uh, also of most animal names, uh, because they're either funny uh, and uh, emotional – for example, there are several animals called cob, uh, C-O-B. Uh, there is one called cob, and there are some other animals called cob, and nobody knows where this cob came from and where it came from anyone, anything. Uh, one just uses syllables, and here you have the word, something like what we talked about before, before the short break. Uh, the, sometimes they're foreign, like cat, we know that the word cat came from Egypt, but the origin of cat in Egypt, in Egypt is unknown. That is hmm. probably just a syllable. Uh, kiss, 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 puss, 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 uh, cut, 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 or something like that. Uh, dog uh, is a very local word because, I say very local, uh, because it's English and and it's known in northern Germany in a dialect that, in a, which is called uh, either Plattdeutsch, if you want, or, or Low German. And uh, there are all kinds of hypotheses, about uh, 10 that I can remember at the moment, and they multiply. I, my idea is that this is a baby word, uh, because children play with puppies and, and kittens, and these words, monosyllabic words, uh, cob, dog, and so on, uh, they're simply meaningless syllables. I huh. I have uh, um, every Wednesday my essay appears uh, uh, in a blog called Oxford Oxford University uh, oh, sorry uh, Oxford uh, etymologist and I uh, and I have written about calf C A L F and about several other uh, animal names including dog where I try to promote uh, my idea 
But it's really one idea, my idea against the ideas of some others. There is the, the latest etymology is that it's a color word uh, connected with the word brown, uh, but we do not know uh, whether really the first dogs were brown. And the oldest word, that's the last thing I'll say about it, not to produce a dissertation on the radio, the, the <laughs> real word, the real word for dog is hound. Uh, that is an old word. That's German, German hund. German hund, of course, and the same in the Scandinavian languages. And it is re probably related to Latin canis, canis, canine. Uh, that's an old, respectable word. Dog is a newcomer. And so many other animal names are newcomers, probably from the nursery or from some other uh, low language uh, that is uh, not from some Indo-European root. But those Indo-Europeans were like us. They also had babies, so they also produced such words. So dog will remain a word of disputed etymology. Hmm. Such a short word. Such an interesting, mysterious origin. The shorter, Anatoly the, shorter the harder. Yeah, yeah. Anatoly Lieberman is with us, if you've just gotten in on the show. And you know that when he's on the show, we talk about words and phrases and uh, origins. And today, I wanted to talk about those phrases and words that came down through your family. You heard your grandparents say them, and the generations use them. And boy, you've had some great ones here. Want to get in on this? 651-227-6000. If you get a busy signal, try us back. Uh, to Jessica in Hopkins. Hi, Jessica. What's your word or phrase? Hi. Uh, my father grew up in the north of England, and we grew up hearing him describe anything that burned or stung or really hurt as uh, that burns like the devil in his underpants. And I've never found anyone <laughs> in this country or in the UK who's ever heard this phrase. <laughs> it's so colorful. Yes. Yes, it didn't turn up in my, in my collection. Uh, uh, that is... No one asked a question about it in Notes and Queries or in the Gentleman's Magazine or another 20 magazines that we screened for them. But uh, there is a whole series uh, in my archive uh, which is called uh, Devilry and Etymology. Uh, how many words of this uh, colorful phrases exist and how many interesting, colorful expressions exist when it comes to devils and imps and all kinds of supernatural creatures. So the expression is wonderful, but it doesn't surprise me. So the devil gave, you're saying uh, phrases about the devil gave rise to a lot of colorful language. Yes. Wonder why. Do you have a theory? Uh, well, yes, because the devil should be avoided, and that's why nobody avoids the devil. Uh, and the, the and the devil, you just talk so the de talk uh, think of the devil, and you know what will happen. Uh, so <laughs> everybody knows it. Uh, uh, and the devil had had to be cursed, and and so on and so on, and so forth. Uh, and that is why uh, the devil is there. Profanities in general uh, are very uh, fertile. Uh, or fertile, as people say around me, a fertile source of expressions. The same with God, uh, but the name of God had to be avoided. That's why we have all kinds of euphemisms like like God or Law instead of Lord and so on. Uh, and they're sometimes rather easy to decipher. 
but the devil is the true hero of colorful expressions all over yeah. the world. Uh, Kristen says on Twitter, uh, my husband's family describes a person who needs a haircut as looking a little stribbly. They're from the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. Is it the same as Scruffy? Does it come from somewhere? Or did my father-in-law just make it up? Yeah, Anatoly, it's S-T-R-I-B-B-L-Y. Yes, Stribbly. Hard to tell. Of course, of course, On I say I cannot answer the question in the studio, but I probably would be unable to answer it even if I had 100 years to discuss it. Not only in the 10 minutes that I left, but... Many words beginning with skr and stir uh, are emotional because they're partly sound imitative or symbolic. Uh, that is something which is you struggle with things and you strain yourself. And uh, these words uh, begin to multiply like mushrooms on a stump. Uh, you see those mushrooms, they're all rootless. We know that mushrooms have no roots. They look like plants, but they have no roots. And they all are together. Uh, they look like one another, and they're still rootless. Uh, so a word like stribly, I'm sure the word will appear in the Dictionary of Regional English, uh, American, uh, American Regional English, uh, and it's probably rootless, but it's a very good word because it does what a word should do and probably did uh, so many millennia ago, it more or less evoked the emotion uh, that it was yeah. supposed to evoke. That is, you say a word, and even if you don't know it, you understand it. That's the beautiful thing about a word. You don't have to look it up. Anatoly, I, I got curious about how many Viking words have survived in our language, and many more than, than I thought. Yes. Words like ransack, berserk, yes. gun. Yes, yes. Is there, so here's what I want to ask you. Is there something about the sound or you know, shape of these particular words that came down to us from Viking, the Viking language, that endured, and no. other words... Yeah. No, well, probably because uh, where we live, uh, we have a very st- strong Scandinavian uh, a community uh, with people knowing Scandinavia. Well, berserk, of course, is something that's probably known absolutely everywhere, but right. it's a literary word. Uh, people know berserk not from everyday conversation, uh, but uh, from books. Other than that, uh, in where we live in Wisconsin and Minnesota also in North Dakota, uh, you have so many people of Scandinavian origin that it is not surprising at all. I remember how humiliating it was once. One of my courses is Scandinavian myths. And I explain things about Loki and Odin and Thor and other, and so on. And then, of course, we have evaluations. And one of the students uh, wrote that when I say praises, precious, abuse is common, uh, the student wrote... Uh, the professor is exp- has been explaining to us things about uh, Thor and so on. What is he taking us for? We know these th- words from and names from our parents and grandparents. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, some do and others don't. Uh, but Scandinavian words have that appeal, especially because uh, of the Viking culture of the Middle Ages, of numerous popular uh, m- movies 
and shows,、uh, and that is why so many of these words are known. But these are still culture words, like the word Viking itself. In order to know something about Vikings, you have to read、uh, this、right. word. Your former students are popping up on Twitter this morning, Anatoly. Louisa says, "Welcome back, Professor Lieberman. Love hearing your linguistic brilliance again." Took your Russian formalism class in grad、oh, school years ago, decades ago. Yes, <laughs> she says in the eighties. Thank you for、right. introduction to Victor Shlovsky and company. I mangled that. Has stayed with me for years. Well, you see,、Boy. so not everything we do is lost, as people like to say. <laughs> see, see, yes. So we are not spending our time for nothing. We're not wasting our time. We're really doing something useful. I'm just so impressed. You bring these classes, Russian formalism, to life to the point where your students are saying, "I'm still thinking about how wonderful it was." Yeah, because there are no, later.、Uh, you of course know the saying that there are no dull subjects; there are only <laughs> dull teachers.、Uh, <laughs> yes, and you have a passion for the subject, so I'm sure that course, translates. Of course, it's such a、classroom. very interesting subject, and the literature it on it, and and by the great Russian scholars of the twenties,、uh, brilliant. So I was so enthusiastic. I've taught it twice, unfortunately, only then and never again. But it's one、ah. of the great moments in my career. Oh, that's good to hear. Call from Galen in Minneapolis. Hi, Galen. Thanks for waiting. Good to have you on the line. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Say, I have a, a, a phrase that was passed down. A greeting. I'm from Duluth, heavily influenced by the range. My grandparents. Our first generation former Yugoslavia. Anyway, and a lot of immigrants came to work in the mines, and I grew up with "How she go?" Like, "How are you,、uh, Carrie?、Mm. How she go?" And it's funny because I was just helping my daughter in Milwaukee, twenty-three, and we, it, we brought it up, and we both talked about how people don't know what it means. And I'm in <laughs> Minneapolis now, and and I was and I used to work at Columbia Sportswear and. I'd say it to my younger coworkers, and they're, "Huh? What do you mean?" But it's, it's <laughs> very it. indicative from the Iron Range how she go, and maybe it was just a a simpler way, you know, as they were learning English. But that's what I had to say growing up in northern Minnesota and the.、Range. I mean, maybe Galen, it's exactly what Anatoly was talking about earlier, where it's a very specific regionalism. Anatoly,、right. I mean, the fact that. Yes, yeah, especially the, 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 with such a strong influx、uh, of、right. people speaking Serbo-Croatian,、uh, and from from Yugoslavia, from the Slavic element,、uh, it may also be uh, something uh, that is called a calc.、Uh, that is, the expression exists, let us say, in Serbian, and was translated into imperfect English, and so became a hybrid、uh, of sorts.、Uh, that's a very common linguistic phenomenon. Jeff from Corcoran called. He said, "Ishkamaya is a sound word my family, my mother's family, used to use. Mixed Swedish and Norwegian. Does that sound like like a mashup, Anatoly, of it,、uh, something Swedish and Norwegian?、Uh, Ishkamaya. Could, could I hear it again, just to make sure? Because with sure,、uh, what does it? How does it sound? Ishkamaya. Ishkamaya." It almost looks Japanese to me the way it's written、oh, it down. It doesn't sound like anything to me, uh, but uh, 
but it certainly doesn't. In this form, it doesn't sound either Swedish or Norwegian to mm, me. Okay. That's all I can say. Okay. Call from Sarah in Fairmont. Hi, Sarah. Good to have you on the line. Hi. Thank you. Uh, my husband word? and I, my husband and I uh, grew up on separate farms in southern Minnesota. And when we got married, we had cows, and we'd call them into the, from the pasture, and we both say, "Come, boss! Come, boss!" And when we'd have visitors over the farm, they're like, "What are you saying? Like, <laughs> don't you know how to call a cow? That's how you call a cow." And, we just kind of took it for granted that, you know, like everybody knows how to call a cat when you say here, kitty, kitty. Everybody knew how to call a cow. And we got to talking about it. It's like, you know, that's something we heard our fathers from separate backgrounds. He's mostly German and I'm, you know, English, Irish, Norwegian, Swedish, German. Huh. Um, that's something we've both grew up hearing our fathers do. And... How far back does that go? I mean, where where does that originate from? Somewhere in, in rural Scandinavia, probably, uh, where it was a common uh, way of saying it. Uh, in my office, I have a beautiful dictionary of, of Swedish regionalisms. Uh, I always look them up uh, uh, in such cases. It does sound Scandinavian, and it does have the background you have described, and it does sound very funny uh, when it is used out uh, out of context, so to speak, but not surprising. Is the Sarah? Are you still there? Yes. Is the second word? I can hear you saying "come," but what's the second word? Ba. I'm assuming it's boss, like a bossy cow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's like exactly boss. what I heard too. Okay. Yes, come that, boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I heard. All right. Hey, I'm glad you called. That's interesting. To Sandra in Richfield. Hi, Sandra. Sounds like another grandmother phrase, huh? Yes, my beloved German-Austrian grandmother used to call us Butzela, uh, Butzi for short, I guess. It was, um, I'm sure, a term of endearment, um, but I've never been able to find it uh, in any dictionary and have wanted to know yeah. more about it. Uh, so it's but- got a shala on... Yeah, say it again. Say it again. Butchala. 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 Yeah. Butsy. Butsy. Short. Butsy. In fact, she named a parakeet um, Butsy. <laughs> yeah. So it was... The yeah. beginning sounds a bit like bube, uh, uh, which is a word in German uh, for a little boy or for a little child, usually for a little boy. And the end la uh, sounds like a suffix used in words uh, uh, related to to caressing to some sweet things. So the word translates. That is, of course, all on the spur of the moment, and you should never believe uh, uh, such explanations. Uh, but uh, the word sounds to me like a sweet little child. Anatoly, I have to say congratulations on the new dictionary. I know how many years in the making. Uh, it it dep- the answer depends on where you begin. Uh, when uh, twenty five years ago, I began to uh, to study to write my etymological dictionary. Uh, I uh, amassed a wonderful, wonderful uh, database, and among them, uh, there were also very many 
phrases, but I decided they would have to wait. Uh, I was interested in words at that time, and the result was uh, my bibliography and several books. Uh, and then I thought, well, my time is getting short, and uh, uh, even my graduate students are now retired sometimes, uh, so I'm not <laughs> eternal, uh, so perhaps I should do something with idioms, and uh, began to work on the idioms, and for 10 years, uh, not only I have done many, many other things, I've been hectically busy uh, during the last three years, writing one book after another, uh, but uh, this is now a dictionary of idioms, uh, which is an offshoot of my database, and I'm very proud of it. It's I, I th yes, it, it is impressive, and I will buy a copy and put it pride of place on my desk. Thank you, Anatoly. Just a pleasure to have you back. Really well, good to talk to you again. It's been so long. It has been such a pleasure talking to you for 12 years, Carrie. Uh, such a great thing that you once decided to invite me and never disinvited me. <laughs> and never will again. Anatoly Lieberman is a professor of languages at the U of M, and he's the author of many books, including The New Dictionary on English Idioms and Word Origins and how we know them. Everybody needs a copy. NPR News with Carrie Miller is produced by Kelly Gordon and Ariana Rosas. You can hear the show live at 9 a.m. weekdays on NPR News or by subscribing to the NPR News with Carrie Miller podcast. Thanks for listening.